This episode of the Ready Room is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. This is JG Hertz for General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome to the Ready Room, show number one hundred thirty-eight, the Raid Reference. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me this week is Darren Moser. We'll be talking about some Star Trek news, including a letter from one Captain Kirk to another, an award for Leonard Nimoy, a virtual trip to the USS Voyager bridge, and colliding timelines that combine Q and Guinan with the Abramsverse. Then in the feature, we're joined by Mike Schindler and Max Hegel to discuss the TNG episode, Starship Mine. So let's step into the ready room. Hello, Darren. It's great to have you back with me on the Ready Room to co-host. First time in a while, I think, since the last time I had all three of you guys from Oral Grey here on the show. That's true. I, I When you had my cohorts, Philip and Daniel, on, I think I, I messaged you and said, hey, if you want the, to unlock the full Oral Grey set, uh, then I, I need to come on and, and let's have a have a good discussion. So I'm excited to be here. That's right. And we're doing that on Warp 5 as well, because I've had Philippine and Daniel on, and now you're going to be coming on soon to talk Enterprise with me on there. So I, I'm really into this Earl Grey hat trick. Well, we may not be the newest show out there, but uh, if you treat us like a lady, we'll always get you, you know, where you need to go. <laughs> That's what Riker always tells me. All right. Well, let's just let's go ahead and jump right into the news here tonight. And um, speaking of a Starfleet officer who loves the ladies, there was an interesting news story that I saw about Captain Kirk sending a letter to Captain Kirk. Now, now, Darren, what's going on here? Is this one of those sort of like causality, temporal loop things that you get in Star Trek? What is this? Well, normally you would say that this is, you know, pretty standard for Starfleet, you know, for Star Trek. I mean, I'm sure Captain, Picard, you know, Captain Kirk could send you know, a message to himself any day of the week. And it really wouldn't surprise us. But in the real world, this is Captain James Kirk, a.k.a. William Shatner. Uh, he's sending a letter to Captain Kirk, who is going to be commanding the USS Zumwalt, which is an actual naval ship. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Zumwalt is the most technologically advanced destroyer in the U.S. Navy. And it's going to start active duty in 2016. And you said Captain Kirk of the Zumwalt, but it's even better than that. It's Captain James Kirk of the <laughs> Zumwalt. Now, I don't think his middle name is Tiberius, but he actually is James Kirk. And he is the captain of this ship. Well, a quick trip to the office of DMV or whatever it is, I'm sure you could fix that and remedy that. <laughs> right. I mean, that's really the test. Is he a good... A, you know, Star Trek fan. Will he change his middle name for this? 
or, you know, just a pencil. I, I think you could, you could pencil that in there as well. It's, I don't um, know. The Navy are kind of sticklers. I don't, I don't know if a pencil will be enough. <laughs> that's true. That's true. You have a point there. The, this story I just thought was, was, first of all, it's great that William Shatner took the time to send this letter. And what he wrote was, unfortunately, I can't be with you when your vessel is commissioned. And obviously your captain, Captain Kirk, is dear to my heart. So forgive me for not attending. My schedule won't allow me, but know that you are in our thoughts, Mr. and Mrs. Shatner, and that we bless you and hope that you have a safe journey wherever your ship takes you. Our best, William and Elizabeth Shatner. And so I thought it was just a great gesture that he sent the letter in the first place. But the fact that the 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 most advanced ship in the U.S. Navy is going to set sail with a captain named James Kirk I, I, you know, I don't know if this man's parents were Star Trek fans and therefore named him that, or if it's purely a coincidence. But wow, I, I don't know. It's hard to believe it was a coincidence. So, I mean, you know, Mister and Missus Senior Kirk are probably really excited about this letter, but, but like you said, I, it's a great gesture by by William Shatner and it reminds me of the days you know when a lot of the original crew were there for the unveiling of the Enterprise shuttle oh right you know over at over at NASA and when things like that overlap it's it's always fun because yes in our hearts we know that Star Trek isn't isn't real but because it's something from our future and something that inspires so many people not just you know people in engineering or people in sciences but but people in the Navy, I'm sure. So I'm sure everyone will have a good kick uh, riding on the USS Zumwalt, and I'm sure some select audio might be played over the intercom from time to time. <laughs> Definitely. Now, you just said the Enterprise isn't real, but, but Darren, I think there are plenty of people at the Smithsonian who would disagree with you. Okay, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I'm really excited it's getting that awesome new uh, display coming up coming up shortly but but when is you know the enterprise d going to get its own own display of the smithsonian i mean uh, it may not have launched star trek but it launched a, a 20 year almost span of awesomeness on television well i think when they move the original 1701 shooting model out of the gift shop on the lower level <laughs> up to this new exhibit there's going to be this trench that leads you to the gift shop. And at the end of the trench is going to be the saucer section from the 1701D and a cardboard cutout of Counselor Troy. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> it, you know, I, I, I'm a big Star Wars fan. So anything near a trench that leads to something beloved is never a good sign. Oh, that's true. All right. So, so congratulations here to Captain Kirk of the U.S. Navy, and uh, this this is a great story. So we'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go check that out. And you can actually see a photo of the letter as well. Well, as seems to be a theme on the Ready Room, Darren, when we have a story about William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy cannot be outdone. There always has to be a <laughs> Leonard Nimoy story as well. And we have one of those this week, and this is about Leonard Nimoy, who is a native of Boston, he is going to be receiving a governor's award from the Boston New England Emmy Awards. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 
he has successfully unlocked that level of life when you just start getting awards and people are like, hey, you know, Leonard Nomoy, he's a pretty cool guy. Uh, let's just give him, let's give him some doctorates, maybe, you know, some awards, you know, for, for television, arts and sciences. But, but it's still, it's still a big honor. I mean, obviously you, they don't just give these out, you know, because you reach some sort of age milestone. It is because, you know, of your lifetime achievement. And it's a great honor for, you know, Mr. Nimoy to win or not, not to win, but to be honored by, you know, this governor's award. Oh, definitely. He's, he's very deserving of it. And if you think about people on television who have had a major influence on modern popular culture and society, I mean, Leonard Nimoy is, is one of just a handful of people that you would name. And I mean, he's been on many TV shows, of course, best known as Spock on Star Trek, but just his portrayal of the character Spock had such an influence on so many people. And even if maybe you can't immediately look and put your finger on the impact of it in sciences, you know that so much of our scientific advancement and technological advancement comes from people who were inspired by Leonard Nimoy and Spock to pursue those careers in the first place. And that's just the power of television. Well, and not only you know, the, the sciences in general, but also the sciences of filmmaking. I mean, yeah. sci science fiction has always pushed the envelope of how do we tell the story? How do we show this ship? And often whole new technologies are developed just to get a shot. And I mean, we see that in Pixar, we see that in ILM in so many different, you know, companies, there's many ways to be inspired, uh, by, by people of his character. Most definitely. So the Boston chapter of the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences are the ones who are going to be giving the award. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the story, Leonard Nimoy is a native of Boston. He grew up in the West End area of Boston, and he performed on stage from the age of eight all the way through his teens there in the area. So the community has, you know, a special connection to him. And so I think it's wonderful that they're going to take a moment to recognize one of their own at the ceremonies, which are going to be taking place on June 7th. So we will uh, put a link in the show notes to that story as well, if you want to go find out more about that. And then we're going to move on beyond the original series now, Darren. And we're going to talk about the future. Now, you're, you're a TNG guy. You're on Earl Grey. You guys are used to the holodeck. Just go in there, spend your free time. It's really hard to get bored on our ship, Chris. It just, you know, it's it's n almost impossible. Right. It really, yeah, I would think so. You never see anybody tweeting, I'm so bored on the Enterprise D, right? <laughs> well, that's because Twitter's been, you know, obsolete since the mid, you know, 23rd century. But, you know, but, but semantics. True, true. Well, one thing I will say about the holodeck on The Next Generation is that the programs they ran on there were typically more interesting than the programs they ran on Voyager, maybe with the exception of Captain Proton. But this story is about Oculus Rift, which is a, a type of virtual reality goggle for those who haven't seen it that allows you to actually be transported, I guess is the word I would use, into another mm. place and see it in three dimensions. And Oculus Rift has created, it's actually not Oculus Rift themselves, but it's a developer called TMEK, T-M-E-K, 
they released a demo this past Saturday on April 19th of the the bridge from the Starship Voyager. And you can actually, by using Ocular Rift, walk around on the bridge of Janeway's Starship. Yeah, I mean, this technology is pretty amazing. You know, it's, it's the goggles, obviously, that you place on your face, but they're not just, you know, this isn't a Viewmaster <laughs> with, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> with maybe eight eight slides in it. it. It senses, you know, where you're looking, even, you know, the tilt of your head, you know, from left to right. And I did notice in the in the video clip they provided, which is like you would see on the Oculus Rift, so it looks like two kind of square, roundish images side by side obviously when donning the goggles your brain would mesh those into one uh but but the bridge is fairly dark uh and maybe i'm just used to our really flat color palette of <laughs> of next gen but mm-hmm. uh but it, it it was immersive but I, I would find myself virtually tripping over those stairs <laughs> maybe when you actually wear these things it's not quite that dark to you I I don't know. I've never had a chance to wear the Oculus Rift, but but I hear people talk about it all the time on technology shows that I listen to and it's it sounds cool. I'd like to experience it. You know, I've played around with various different 3D virtual reality gadgets over the years as they've come out and you know, I've yet to see anything that works really really well that I've personally tried. Um but I hear these are quite good. It would be fun to walk around on the bridge of Voyager. And I I would really want to be able to walk around the entire ship, though, myself. Oh, yeah. It would definitely be... I wouldn't be contained on the bridge. I'm like, (laughs) hey, there's a turbo lift here. It needs to go somewhere. But... And and this technology really is kind of a step towards the holodeck. I, I mean, one of the principles of the holodeck that seems very difficult to actually, you know, make a reality is that whole visual perspective is you know your friend walks away from you and you're in a 10 by 10 room when he hits the wall if i remember my technical manual correctly he's on a force field treadmill which moves him actually where he he feels like he's walking farther away but there's some sort of lens shifting between you and him so it looks like he's moving farther than 10 feet so it's a bunch of you know force fields and lensing effects and i could definitely see though you just instead have you know let's say five people are in the holodeck in quotes and they're all wearing oculus rifts those devices could generate the entire terrain but also the perspective of a person being farther away or closer and you know speakers could enhance that so it's it, it's definitely a step in the right direction, and uh, I, I I definitely like you know developers who have a love for Star Trek whenever they bring that into what they're working on. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. You gave me an idea a minute ago. You mentioned Viewmaster. I want to see an Oculus Rift Viewmaster. So painted like, red with the little right, you know exactly. circle on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 looks like the the old Viewmaster that I had when I was a kid. But you strap it on your head, and but but it's like glasses right on top of you. I think I think that could work. I mean, I, I'm sure Oculus Rift wants to be known as Viewmaster 2.0. I'm sure that's <laughs> really good for their their branding. But uh, maybe Definitely. maybe someone will make a 3D printed custom skin that you can put over over your Oculus Rift. Oh, see that now that's going to be the next thing when you go to Oculus Rift World convention on the <laughs> the showroom floor the vendor floor it's just going to be rack after rack after rack of 
Oculus Rift skins that you can use to pimp out your glasses. But see, I would assume that Oculus Rift World isn't actually a real convention. You participate right. completely through your Oculus Rift. So <laughs> you could just say you're on an aisle yeah. and you say, I want that. And then it's shipped to you or 3D printed on your 3D printer because, you know, it's the future. I, I think you're right. Yeah. Everyone's just sitting at home in their Lazy Boys with these glasses <laughs> on. But they're all actually at the Moscone West in San Francisco or somewhere. Oh, saves, saves a lot of money. I can tell you that. Uh, true. It, you know, those people can't attend conventions uh, or imagine using like a telepresence or some sort of like virtual, you know, robot that's providing the, you know, 3D stereoscopic view. You know, if you can't quite make it to uh, the next, uh, you know, convention in Vegas, you just send your telepresence robot and you wear your Oculus Rift. You just dress them up like Spock. Everyone would be the same. <laughs> You know, another possible Star Trek connection here I see with this is they've been doing various things with Oculus Rift, and it's been shown already to have uses like controlling aerial drones, mm -hmm. immersive therapy for the sick, and even experimental body swapping, which I don't even want to know what that is. But controlling aerial drones, it reminds me of in the fourth season of Enterprise, when you had the the Romulan holographic ship, which was controlled by an Enar, and it was sort of like a telepathic control of this ship that was flying somewhere else in space. It almost sounds like that. That's true. I, I think they had all that technology and the telepathy of the of the alien helped facilitate that in some mm -hmm. way, you know, in some unwritten techno babble. But yeah, it's true. I mean, you need some sort of immersive piloting control. Let's just say it's probably an Oculus Rift would be a little bit easier to pilot the Enterprise than maybe a joystick. I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, don't tell Riker that. <laughs> All right. So well, it's no beard Riker, so I don't really listen to him. So <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes. As Darren mentioned, there is a video of this. The video is kind of strange to watch because this is something that they can't replicate in a two-dimensional video for you to watch. And, and really, I don't know that they could really replicate the experience even with a three-dimensional video You know that you could watch if you had a 3D television or computer display because you, this is real virtual reality. You need to put this on. But but it does seem like a step towards holographic or holodeck technology, I should say. And, you know, the other the other weird thing about Oculus Rift is that it was just bought last month for $2 billion. Not 2 billion slips of gold pressed latinum, but 2 billion <laughs> U.S. American dollars by Facebook. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the experimental body swapping, because that sounds like something Facebook might be into. But we don't know where this is going, but its head is somewhere, and Facebook and Voyager are involved. No, definitely. And, you know, I'd say to anyone who developed the Oculus Rift, uh, congratulations on your great payout, uh, as you are pretty much set for any other technology <laughs> you'd like to develop. But, yeah, yeah, the only way I could think of viewing that video would be to make it like full screen on my computer and maybe place a piece of paper down the middle mm -hmm. and literally hold it up to the bridge of my nose and just force 
one eye to see each side. But uh, yeah, like you said, it's you're not going to get it unless you're actually watching an Oculus Rift, you know, viewing it through that. All right. Well, if you do that, Darren, I want to see Instagrams. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have my keep my eyes open for that. This is me with my poor man's <laughs> Oculus Rift. Uh, and, and I can watch this one video. And if I squint really hard, it, it, it sort of works. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the next story. And Darren, the, the, we have two more stories in news today, and they're both stories that I really, really wanted to get your opinion on as one of the TNG guys on our network. Apparently, Whoopi Goldberg, who of course played Guinan on The Next Generation, she was talking, she was doing a chat on Facebook with fans recently, and fans asked her about the chances of her returning to the franchise. And she said, I hope so. I would love that. I keep trying to get somebody to let me come play on the new Star Trek. I have to wait till I am hot in demand again. So Guinan premiered in The Child in the second season of The Next Generation. She was in 27 episodes. She's kind of like Garrick on Deep Space Nine in that Garrick was in, I believe, 33 episodes, but you feel like he was there all the time. And same with Guinan. You really feel like she's there for more than 27 episodes. So she's very much a part of the next generation. Of course, she was in Generations, the film, and in Nemesis. But what do you think about the idea of her turning up in the Abramsverse? Well, well, first off, I'd like to say I would watch the Garrick Guinan show Every day of the week. I think that would just be an amazing, amazing show. She's tending bar. He's a tailor, you know, and somehow they make it work. I, I would watch that. It's like, all it's all time. about the Merchants Association on the promenade, right? <laughs> and Quark's that weird neighbor in the background who's just yelling at them about not running, you know, their customers into the ground enough. Right. Well, I, I guess I can kind of see it, you know, of her being in the JJ verse. Uh, I mean, obviously we had Spock's character, Spock Prime, you know, go through his time warp. And yes, there are a lot of things we don't know about her species, which could be the ability to move into parallel universes as she did in yesterday's Enterprise, have a innate sense that things were off. Because technically really that was point. a parallel universe. Yeah, that's a great point. So although it, I guess the hardest thing I would hope the writers would write a good reason and not just, oh, well, let's have Whoopi Goldberg in, in this. You know, it, it, she's apparently supposed to be an ageless character, as we've seen her in, you know, the time of Samuel Clemens and the 24th century. I guess. I mean, she's an Elorian and they're not immortal, but they do live for a really, really long time. I, I guess of all the characters, at least because there are so many gaps about her species and about her character that it, it is plausible, at least, you know, that they could tug some threads together to, to show her in this. Uh, and it would be kind of interesting to have a, a next-gen character, at least one that was originated next-gen, you know, in the JG verse. So I, I don't know. I'm on the fence. I think uh, if they do it right, it could be really good, but it, it feels right now, you know, just like a Facebook chat, almost like a like a gag of like, oh, hey, right. this would be cool. I think it's highly unlikely. But if there is one character from the next generation that 
they could cross over like that and, and have it make sense. You know, maybe she's the one. Um, as I was listening to you talk about ideas there, one thing that popped into my head, because that's a great point about yesterday's Enterprise. And let's also not forget that, you know, she had some kind of unusual abilities in Generations as well. Um, I th- I think the trick, how do you get her into the Abrams verse in the first place? I think it all comes down to candles. It's it's how many candles you need in order to jump to an actual parallel universe, and you also need to jump backwards in time. Well, although technically she wouldn't have to jump backwards in time because, again, we know she's been around since you know the 1800s. So young Guinan, who is at least by TNG standards, who is now in the 21st, 22nd century, a.k.a. J.J. verse Kirk time, could easily appear. She just wouldn't have any knowledge of the Picard. Yeah, although Whoopi Goldberg doesn't look as young as she did back in the early 90s when they were doing TNG. So I'm not sure if that would work or not, but I get your point there. What I was thinking, though, on a serious note about about how you could have her in there and it makes sense is that, you know, you could say that her, that Elorians have this ability to appear in many universes at once. And that's why the Guinan in the parallel universe in yesterday's Enterprise and our normal Guinan on the rest of the next generation had a, a sense of what was going on on the other side and also, you know, looked exactly the same. So she could still look like the same Guinan in the Abrams verse and maybe even have knowledge of the next generation time period in the prime universe. And you could justify it by saying that, that Elorians somehow can manifest themselves in multiple universes at once. Personally, I think that makes more sense than being able to beam yourself from Earth to Kronos. Oh gosh, let's not even let's not even <laughs> go there. But no, I think that's a very accurate, at least by Star Trek standards, plausible yeah. method. I mean, they are a race of listeners, so maybe they purposely place themselves in not uh, not what's the word? They're not captains. They're not you know, the foreground people. Yeah. Usually they're in the background. They're bartenders. Maybe that would allow them. Barbers, tailors, (laughs) sushi chefs. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. She didn't have eyebrows. So I don't know how much I would want her to be my barber. Just like Mr. Mott. It's like, do you really have (laughs) qualifications for this? I mean, what is your actual life experience with hair? But I'd say she's more again, like Garrett. I mean, where else could she get those hats? I mean, other than Garrick's tailor shop, he's just making up a new one for every week. They keep and each we've other come in business. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll put a link in the show notes to this as well if you want to uh, find out a little bit more. And the last thing we have is related to this, actually, Darren, except this one's not hypothetical. This one's actually happening, and it's happening in July. This is Q appearing in the Abrams verse. So in the IDW Star Trek ongoing comic series, which is excellent, by the way, that was, it followed the 2009 movie, led us into, into darkness and has now taken us out. And now we're finally getting into the five-year mission 
of the Abramsverse Enterprise crew, which they, man, they stalled on that five-year mission forever. But they're finally underway. And starting in July with issue number 35 of Star Trek Ongoing, we're going to be getting the Q Gambit, a six-part story arc that centers on the mischievous Q as he sends Kirk on a quest that brings the Enterprise to familiar faces from Star Trek lore, which, as we were just talking about the Guinan, I just have this sneaking suspicion that this is going to involve the Abrams versus Kirk and his crew meeting Picard and the TNG crew. Well, I mean, first off the bat, I don't, I don't quite get it. The Q Gambit, where's the Q pun? I mean, it's just... Uh, it's not like right. the it Q-averse. Sh- it should be you know, the Cambit with a Q, right? The, oh <laughs> and, and also, I mean, it harkens to one of my favorite next-gen episodes, I Gambit. About, but, I was thinking about that uh, when I was putting the show notes together today. That I knew that you love that episode. Although I feel really poorly because I think I've been calling it The Gambit for many a year. It's just it's Gambit. It's just called Gambit. Yeah. So as much as it is my beloved episode, I can't even get the, the title well, right. Well, no, you're okay, Darren. You're justified, Darren, because you love it so much that to you, it is the Gambit. There's not just Gambit. It's the That's right. Gambit. I mean, Gambit is a is a X-Man. I mean, it's got to be the Gambit right. to, to, to make it to make it work. But 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 back to Q, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe it could be Picard is there. Maybe this is how we get guided in, and they're just cat fingering each other, you know, argh, cat claws <laughs> up. Got, you know, I'm going to scare you into a parallel universe. I, who knows? I mean, these characters, they love to, to harass each other, but I, I could see it happening. I mean, Q's been presented in many of the books and, and other ways. Uh, you you kind of have the side adventure of Q and Vosh, you know, off whatever. I guess he's somehow not bored by being an archaeologist for one person's life span, but I could, I could definitely see him interacting. I guess it all comes down to, we know Q knows about the prime universe, at mm-hmm. least if he's really as omnipotent slash multidimensional. I mean, you would think that would not be with it. That would be within the limit of his power. Like, so you mean he knows that, about the Abrams verse also, he knows about all the different timelines. Right. He's like, you're, you know, I mean, his opening line could be something like, you're not quite like I actually remember, which or something, you know, along mm-hmm. those lines. So it'd be interesting if they took it that way of, yes, it's Q, but it's Q who knows that this is an alternate timeline, because that's really the gimmick or that's really the 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 focus of the Ab- of the Abrams verse. I mean, otherwise, I mean, they've they've. They and they're the ones who did it. They're the ones who drew the big line in the sand and said, "Look, we're an alternate timeline. We're acknowledging that. We're going to have Spock Prime and you know alternate Spock. So we these characters even realize they're in an alternate timeline. So you can't kind of get rid of that wall. You can't just be like, this is a reboot and here are these characters again, like Spider Man. It's been two years and we need to show new actors. So let's just re origin story it. Yeah. So." It'd be interesting to see where they take the story, though. Yeah, I don't know. Um, in a comic, it's fine. I'm very interested to see what they do with it. And and I've really been enjoying the comics. They've done some some really nice stuff in there. They had a, a few clunkers here and there, but for the most part, they've been really excellent. On screen, though, Q is, is someone who I don't want to see appear in one of these Abramsverse movies. And... The reason I bring that up is because I've heard people talk about it and people are talking about like who could be the villain in the 
Abrams first the next Abrams first movie. I'm actually going back to before we head into darkness when people were talking about, you know, who might it be? And I think John Delancey has actually been asked before. I'm pretty sure about whether he would be interested in appearing in one of the JJ films as Q. And I don't know. I don't like the mixing. Like I, I totally get what you're saying about, we do have to acknowledge that there is this other timeline because otherwise you just have a straight reboot. And that's great. But I don't think the two should come together. And and certainly not with a character like Q, who's one of the most beloved characters in Star Trek. It, it feels like a cheap gimmick to throw him into uh, one of the movies in the Abrams verse. Unless there's one thing that might work for me. If they were to bring in Trelane in the next film... Mm. If they were to dip into that original series lore, bring in Trelane and then bring in Q because it's sort of been retconned over the years that Trelane was a Q, then I could I could see that. And they might be able to make an interesting story. And it might make sense to have Q pop in from the other universe because maybe Trelane came from there as well. Maybe there's something there with that. I don't think they'll do that for the next film, but that's probably the only time I would be able to swallow Q in the Abrams verse. Yeah, it's it just feels so much like a gimmick, and it's like we really just want this five year mission to start. That's really what we want. We just want <laughs> right. to see these guys out and about having maybe new adventures. Maybe we don't need to reenact Nomad. Maybe we don't need to reenact you know the M five computer. Let's just tell new stories. I mean, that's the whole point of going through this reboot is that we can just tell new stories that we don't have to reference. Yes, we can have references, but but every plot should not be a, a, an almost reimagining of an existing plot in right, darkness. Right. right. And the comics have done a good job of that now where they are doing original stories. You know, when it started, they were just kind of retelling TOS episodes, but now they've gotten into some new stuff. Last thing on the story before we move on from this, Mike Johnson, who writes these comics and oversees it along with Roberto Orsi, said, Part of the fun of the new Star Trek movie franchise is seeing how beloved characters are different in the new timeline. But one iconic adversary remains unchanged, Q. His fascination with humanity and his penchant for mischief remain the same across the multiverse. And now he's come to take the Enterprise crew on an adventure that will bring new meaning to the phrase, no win scenario. Like so many fans, Q captured my attention as soon as he appeared on the deck of the Enterprise. And uh, this is actually coming from Sarah Gatos now, who is the comic editor. And she said, we're excited to explore just how Q will react to our Captain Kirk and how Kirk will handle one of the most powerful, witty characters ever to appear in the Star Trek universe. So, all right, it'll be interesting to see. We'll certainly be reading them and we'll be reviewing them on literary tracks. And so, Darren, actually, I think there's an idea right there. When they come out in July, we need the whole Earl Grey crew <laughs> to read the six-part comics. Come to on with Matthew glasses and me on. <laughs> onto literary tracks and we'll do a feature on it. 
there you go. Well, at least fortunately for John Delancey, he can be drawn like 1987 Q. Right. Yeah, he doesn't have to be uh, aged <laughs> with as as a film version would be. But but no, I think I think like you said, the comics is probably the best place to tell this story. Yeah. Uh, and so. and it'll be interesting to see where they take uh, where they go with their imaginations. Most definitely. All right. Well, that's all we have in news for today. Before we jump into the feature, where we're going to be joined by Mike and Max to talk about Starship Mine. We already talked about Barber's Darren earlier, and um, Mott's not in that episode per se, but Picard's in that Only episode by name. pretending to be mine. <laughs> but before we get into that, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. Now, Audible helps us bring the ready room to you every week. They're the best source for audiobooks you'll find anywhere, and they have over 150,000 titles for you to choose from right now, and they add hundreds of new titles to the site every single week. They have new releases, current bestsellers, classics, lots of Star Trek books as well, pretty much any genre you can think of, anything you'd find in the bookstore, and they've got it there in audio format. It's a really great way to read all those books that you've always wanted to read, but you never thought you'd have time for like me, I've got so much stuff I want to read, but it's really difficult for me to sit down with a book and focus on it long enough to read it. So I listen to a lot of audiobooks while I'm working. It's really great. What we like to do here on The Ready Room every week, of course, is to recommend a book to you. And Darren, I like to have my co-hosts recommend books. So what is there on Audible that you think everyone should go pick up? Well, one of the great books that they have is called Star Trek The Next Generation Reunion. And this was written by uh, Michael Jan Friedman and is narrated by Gates McFadden, our own Dr. Crusher, you know, who wasn't in season two. So maybe these are when those adventures were happening. No, Uh, (laughs) but this story is actually about the it's about Picard and his time on the USS Stargazer, that you know iconic ship that we saw in the battle, that we saw in the little desk model, you know, in his ready room in the background. And it's great because, again, you can tell so much in these stories where you have, you know, things that are going on in next gen time. You have things going on in his past. I mean, he was captain, you know, of the Stargazer for 22 years. I mean, that's. That's a long time. That's longer than he was the Enterprise, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. before it got blown up. Uh, but you have him interacting with his past crew, his current crew, and it just really tells us a great chapter of the past of one of the most beloved captains of Star Trek. So I, I highly recommend it. It was a great read. It's a great audio book. And again, any, every time they get a, a, a Star Trek actor to read these, whether it's John Delancey or, you know, James Doohan or Gates McFadden, it, it always just makes it that much more immersive. So it's a great audible pick. Definitely. That's one of the great things about the Star Trek audiobooks is that I think all of them are read by a Star Trek actor pretty much. Um, I don't think Gates McFadden has read too many of them, though. Um, John Delancey does lots of them. And Jonathan Frakes, James Dewan, as you mentioned, does quite a few. And George Takei does some as well. But uh, but it is always, always great. Now, I don't know if Matthew picks this one up with Gates McFadden reading it. I may never hear from him again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have some good news for you. As a Trek FM listener, you can check out Reunion absolutely free just for trying Audible. And the way you do that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up and then choose Reunion. Or you can choose any book you want. It doesn't have to be Reunion. 
and you can get that for free. And if at the end of the trial period you decide not to stick with Audible, you get to keep that audiobook. So there's nothing to lose, but I, I don't know why you would not want to stick with Audible because if you're listening to podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. And if you're already getting them from another source, Audible is really the best place to get them. They have the best selection, the best prices. And I've been using Audible for 14 years, which is kind of scary because it reminds me of how old I'm getting. But I love it so much that I have no plans to stop anytime soon. And I know you're going to love Audible as well. So go check it out, audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Sign up today. And again, we really thank Audible for their support of the Ready Room and the network. And we thank you for supporting Audible. Life and death situations and small talk go together like Picard and Earl Grey, Troy and Chocolate, or Geordie and PowerPoint presentations. Right, guys? <laughs> yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think so. Well, at least they do in Starship Mine, a sixth season TNG episode that features a never-before-heard-of type of particle, at least in Star Trek, a horse saddle, and possibly the most annoying commander in Starfleet. And today we're going to talk about this episode, and to help us do that, we're joined by the crew from Commentary Trek Stars, Mike and Max. Hello, guys. Hey, how's it going? Good evening. Thanks for joining us tonight. I know it's very late where you guys are, and I appreciate you staying up and coming on the ready room. Yeah, I'd be up anyway. Yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> not doing anything. So important. why not talk about some Next Generation then, right? Yeah. I don't see why. There's no good reason why not. Now, you guys know that... I, I don't, I'm not sure who actually picked the episode tonight. Darren or Mike? I think it was Darren. Darren. It was Darren, because this episode was was directed by Cliff Bowl and Mike and Max. You guys have devoted about half of your show to Cliff Bowl, haven't you? <laughs> it was only a six part series. That's okay, well, small that, for that's us. actually short by Trek Stars standards, right? Yeah, yeah. we're we're, yeah. we're nothing if not thorough. Yeah, yeah. We've had some that's long true. series. Yeah, some ones that went on way too long. But we were talking about his his work in in X Files primarily, so it's kind of right. cool to jump back to the twenty fourth century and see what he was doing over there. Jump back, use that correctly. Jump forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, a quick rundown before we start the discussion for those who haven't seen this episode in a long time. It's it it may be one that you don't remember because for me, it's one that always kind of gets lost in the in the middle of season six. But this is the episode where the Enterprise has to come into, as I believe Max described it in the other side of the room. The other side of the room. A shower or a giant car wash. Because apparently these particles, baryon particles, have been building up on the ship from going to warp for so long and it has to be cleaned. And at the same time, Data has decided that he's going to learn how to make small talk. So you've got this story that takes place partially on the planet, on this base. And then you've got people on the ship who want to steal warp resin, like trilithium resin, to use to sell to someone to make bombs with it. And the episode is pretty much just 
Picard trying to stop them. And he dies. Uh, spoiler Spoilers. alert. He does stop them. <laughs> Enterprise is not destroyed. Captain Picard is not killed in the sixth season. And that's the episode. And then it has kind of like a TOS ending, right? With a little ha-ha humorous moment at the end. Yeah. That's what you say? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a weird right. scene there, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of well you know this episode for me is kind of a weird episode. I I remembered thinking this over the years and then when I watched it again to prepare for the show today it kind of reinforced that feeling that I've always had that the character dialogue is just kind of off at times and it just doesn't feel quite like your normal TNG episode for me anyway. So I'm curious to know what you guys think about it. So let's just jump in, Darren. You picked the episode. So why don't you kick us off with just your first thoughts on it? Well, it's it's one of my, my favorite episodes. It's just a fun romp through space. I mean, well, romp in orbit of a planet in stationary space. But, you know, yeah, I like you said, I, I like the A and B plot. I like, you know, Commando Picard on the Enterprise. I love Data interacting with Commander Hutchinson down on the planet and a lot of characters get something to do you know which is which is nice i mean except except Worf. i don't think Worf really does anything in this episode but he gets to go look for the saddle he gets to go look for the saddle. <laughs> well you know he asked about it and that started him on a you know long you know, frodo like journey towards the saddle i'm sure <laughs> so but yeah, no, it's it's a lot of fun, and and we get to see Picard in in a bit of a different light. You know, he's the diplomat, he's the, you know, the negotiator, and now he's the commando, basically. Right. So, Max, what are your your what's your first thought? My first thought, I I suppose I have to go back to when I originally watched it, and I. I, the the episode ended and I ended up talking to a friend of mine and I was like, they just did Die Hard. They just they just did Die Hard on the show. And he was oh, like, so it's not yeah. just me. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I'm not sure if I like that. <laughs> but like, there was a sort of like, we're not sure if we like that. And I was like, I think I like it, like a lot, like more than I probably should. Like maybe to the point that it's like like dangerous and unhealthy for me to like it this much. But like over the years, I have sort of like swung around in a completely different direction and come like, I went like, oh, it is kind of lame that they did Die Hard rip off. And like now thinking about like how much movies ripped off Die Hard for like 20 years, thinking about this episode, it actually makes it much more mature and intelligent because it's not a Die Hard rip off. It's a Die Hard adaptation. And Mm. it is so meticulous that it actually has a kind of maturity in the way it's essentially funny that they're doing die hard on the enterprise but it isn't like making fun of the show or die hard it's just using die hard as a genre and that's fantastic um yeah i i I would agree with that you know when i actually saw this before i saw die hard you're a terrible person like i was 13 bad i was 13 i don't know what you want me to do but apologize uh, I'm sorry. Okay. But I mean, I I don't think that I'm the only person on this panel who thinks that Die Hard is one of the 10 best movies ever made. And um seeing as as Max says an adaptation of it I think is is really great set in in the world of Star Trek. 
That's pretty cool. And I, I am a fan of the diehard genre, you know, diehard Anna this, diehard Anna that, and this is diehard on the Enterprise. And I mean, okay, I'm sold. That's awesome. Okay. And also, I mean, I think it is just very sound in terms of, uh, well, like the writing in particular. Uh, I, I do like the, the dialogue and, and the character and the characters, the characterization of, the, of these these people and stuff like that. And I think that the, uh, the structure of it, the way that it's set up and, and, and paid off, it all works pretty, pretty damn well. And, and yeah, I mean, just beyond the diehard thing, if you want to, you know, open that up and make it a little more general, I mean, it's, it's your, your typical bottle show, your typical, as James Cameron would say, spam in a can show. And, uh, those tend to work really well for me. Um, and this is, this like watching this, I mean, I, I've always loved this episode, but watching this again, I mean, I think this, this is really solid. This is one of the best episodes of Next Generation. Yeah, and, and like the as dramatic stakes go, it's so perfect. Everything is established very carefully. Mm-hmm. And the Baryon sweep, just as a, as a ridiculous concept, right. it's so perfectly visually represented. Like, here is the thing that's going to kill you, and it's walking slowly towards you. Yeah. So there's a ticking clock that is visible yeah. on yes. screen yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about that, that that's, too. That's fantastic. And the fine, and like when he's like getting it to shut off, it's like right out of Star Wars. It's, mm-hmm. you know, shut off the trash compactors and they basically don't do it until the last second. It's awesome. Yeah, that's true. That is like the high noon concept. You have that ticking clock where you know that at such and such a time, Picard, he can't outrun it. I mean, there's, yeah. you're on a spaceship. You can't exactly go outside. And, mm-hmm. you know, and fortunately, one of the few sets that's actually built for the Enterprise is the last location it will be. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing which I really like about it is um, it has, uh, I mean, it's a bottle show, but it uses what is available to the best possible extent. And the other thing that it does is it uses those locations in different ways and, and in ways that we haven't really seen before. Yeah, it uses like the geography, really, right? Really, I mean, it, it's it, yeah. And if you know, you know, the layout of the Enterprise, then that makes it all the better. And if you don't, it it's actually matter. extremely informative. Yeah. By yeah. the end of the episode, you'd be like, "Oh, I, I think I know where he was at the beginning and where he was at the end. Mm-hmm. I think I know how he got there." Yeah, those are great points, and and those it really does highlight, like you said, the Baryon sweep is a, a fantastic visual marker of the danger. That that's right there that you can follow all the way through the episode. Yeah. So well, well, let's talk about some of the story elements. And I did have a piece of advice for you guys, which is that if Commander Hutchinson ever invites you over to his place for a barbecue, you should say no, because it's going to be the worst party ever. But what if terrorists take it over? Then it might be fun. <laughs> See, that that's the one part of the episode that I don't really like is uh, the way that they... They deal with Hutch. For one thing, is you think it's mean? Well, I do think it's mean. I do think that you know this is one of those times where these you know Enterprise D crew. There is a thing they're about so the Enterprise cool. They D think they're crew. so cool. They they got a Klingon android. They, they think have, they're so dope. They have a very elitist <laughs> attitude. Okay, more they more do, so than do. any other crew, and yeah. that makes me sick. And I mean, that's part of their characters. Maybe it's good characterization. You know, they've just kind of decided. 
that you know i mean jordy in particular i always talk about but i knew this was gonna come up i knew this gonna, you're in your is, mind is jordy, jordy is the guy in high school with the letter mind. jacket who no. like kicks sand on the on the freshman no 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 he's not even though guy. he's just a sophomore <laughs> no but like all of all the seniors think he's cool no he's the guy who completely ignores you because he doesn't think that you're worth his time he doesn't kick sand on anything he doesn't even acknowledge that you're there okay. anyway but but all, all of these guys are have a very elitist attitude and and you know that's just sort of, sort of their thing but um the way that it's set up like the first the first bit of of small talk that that he engages in is with um Riker i think and he starts talking is it with Riker or someone else but he starts talking about that person's interests i think it's Riker because he's like oh you play in a band you know or whatever mm-hmm. yeah and he it's talks like, about his trombone playing and all yeah. right and mm-hmm. that's perfectly reasonable the the type of small talk that is you know like oh my god the, the, what they're talking about is what he does throughout the rest of the the episode where he is basically telling stories about himself and but when when it first starts, it's like no, this is perfectly reasonable. You know, this is that he's being a, a a good host because he's he's talking about their interests. That but he that talks me. so much. That's, I think is the thing, right? And you, you know, know he, he reminds me of there's that episode of Alf with Willie's colleague Jim. Just call me Jimbo, and he just talks. And he reminds me of Data in the Turbo Lift with. Picard because he talks constantly, but it all is just too unrelated to what's going on. I don't know whether that was an actual reference to Alf or if you just made that up, but either way, no, it's what, awesome. What he just one. did was okay, he scored cool. a three-point shot of nerd cred <laughs> from Japan. <laughs> and we heard the swish. All right. Yes. <laughs> Did you know that all of the plumbing on his spaceship was made of gold, except for the bidet, which was platinum, which is the only piece of elf trivia that's in my head? Really? Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. See, the only piece of elf trivia that's in my head is that he is burnt sienna. Did you know that his real name was Gordon Shumway? Yeah, I did know that. Too, good. Actually. Good. Okay. Because I would be upset. Anyway. So what were we talking about again? Elf. He, sure. he eats cats, right? I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's some cat eating, right? Yes, he does eat cats. Yes. He does. That's well, about, now that's the question. Does Commander Hutchinson eat cats? I don't think so. In okay, which good. case, why would he talk so much with Data, who we know owns a cat? Well, he's buttering him up. Because he's trying to get, he's trying to, yeah, he's trying to get close to Spite. But the other thing that I didn't like about that whole thing is once once the threat is established right they do a good job with with orton you know where he's being talked to and it's like oh they're using the villain as comic relief here before he before you know that he's the villain but then what i thought they should have done it's like this guy is a commander in starfleet instead of incapacitating him right away so that you know all of our heroes need to be the ones who save the day let him be part of the team. Let him yeah. play an integral role, you know? Yeah, have him. Let him step annoy up. Annoy a guard. To the streets. While they... <laughs> well, that's, annoy a guard. That's exactly what that's, I thought, that's a Max. Great I thought that after Riker introduced Data and Hutchinson to each other, and they started, you know, trying to one-up each other and just talking forever... I thought they should have found a way to beam the two of them up to the Enterprise and then they could have talked Kelsey's ears off so that she couldn't put her plan into motion. Well, and I think Hutch should have had a 
like a duality to his character where yes, he's this kind of fast talking, you know, you know, he's kind of, he's a commander, you know, he's been able, he's got, he's got a command of his base and he kind of can just do what he wants. But I think in a crisis though, it'd be great if he literally just clicked and he's like, okay guys, this is what we're going to do because mm-hmm. I've dealt with situations like this before defending, you know, a, a star base and, and all of this. And they're like, whoa, like we totally thought you were just this, you know, Man. party host from, you know, the, the class Y planet. But, you know, instead, uh, you know, it, but instead, he, like you said, he played a more action and a more active role. But instead, uh, we he just got shot. I think I think this alternate version of the episode, maybe Starship His, mm-hmm. um, where where <laughs> Commander Hutchinson is John McClane, is um, a really weird no, he's fascination. Not, he's not John McClane. He's Al. That's true. He's he he is yeah. Al. So he's, he's Sergeant. So Al. he's the dad from Family Matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. I, I that's that's fine. I I think that like the 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 problem of that character is that he is actually annoying. Mm-hmm. And and if you you know establish him as being actually annoying and then have a turn, I mean that's a lot of that's a lot of ground to cover. But you could do it, I suppose. But it's like it's sort of a weird alteration. I mean, like the whole party thing is kind of disposable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they didn't have it, it wouldn't really affect the episode negatively. It would just make it a little bit harder to establish where everybody else is and why they can't help. Yeah. Yeah. And just lock them in the holodeck. That's, you know, a, a perfectly valid way of disposing of your primary command crew. Well, but then they're all going to be disintegrated by the Baryon sweep. Yeah. Oh, God, I forgot about the Baryon sweep. <laughs> well... I mean, if maybe the holodeck can make them a different place and the Baryon Sweep can be converted into light so that then it just sort of like gives them a suntan. Because it's nonsense, the holodeck. It's basically <laughs> magic. Well, on the subject of Hutchinson and the, and the small talk, you know, that all, they set it up at the beginning of the episode with Data being in the turbo lift with Picard, which I mentioned a moment ago. And that part was it was pretty funny seeing data try to come up with small talk and that he's going to write a subroutine for this. But what was even better though, is when they get down to the planet, Brent Spiner mimicking the facial expressions of Hutch and, and setting them up to be the masters of small talk. And Darren, I I was thinking that one reason that you liked this episode probably has to do with the data story. Oh yeah. Data is just a a great character. And when we see him, a bit outside his normal role of I can push a button and send the ship a certain way or captain. I don't know what that is, but, but instead, you know, we get data who is, you know, like the, like the doctor, like Spock, he is trying out another flavor of his humanity and trying to interact more with his peers. And, you know, but uh, although it, when again it all goes commando, it would be nice to see him take a little more active of a role. I mean, you know, we've seen him totally commandeer the Enterprise like by himself. I, I, I kind of feel he should have been a little more valuable on this away mission. You know, taking taking out the terrorists. Just doesn't he have some sort of servo motor in his arm that he could use to like you know blow up something? That that is one moment which I think was like a completely, I don't know. Well, I I 
I blame the direction more than anything, but it was a very next generation moment as it played out. But there's like the whole thing where, you know, Riker's like, okay, Data, when this thing goes off, you need to get over there as quickly as you can and disable that somehow. Somehow. And he's like, okay, I'll try. And then like, and then like the thing, the, the, the alarm goes off and everyone's like, oh my God. And then Data just stands there and kind of like looks around for a second. And then, you know, walks over to the thing picks up a gun and then it's like it should have been like as soon as she pressed the button data just bolted you know they could have done it in slow motion like that scene where i think it's like eli roth is uh is like running in 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 glorious bastards and then he's like got the thing on his hand and he or they could have used the the the, the super bionic ability sound effect from the six million dollar man the bionic woman (laughs) and also i could have stopped watching the show forever (laughs) I'm just saying he should have bolted, you know, that doesn't make any sense. I think Data, he had to pause for a minute because he was so shocked by the one guy at the console who, when the, the, the thing went off, when Beverly set the thing off, he didn't just slump over unconscious in the chair. He like flips over, flies over sideways, full body with the entire chair. Yeah. I, you know, they didn't warn us that that was going to be a possible reaction. Mm-hmm. So, Dad, so Data was standing there thinking like, like what the hell's going on? It. Oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, I got stuff right. to do. <laughs> that dude's milking it, yeah. yeah. I don't know, maybe he was padding exactly. out the episode. Maybe the director was like, okay, uh, Brent, uh, we need a we need this to be like a five minute scene of you just picking up these weapons. Is there any way you can make that plausible? Oh, that's my thing. <laughs> <laughs> it it does feel like have you the, seen season one that's mostly <laughs> what it is it, it does feel like the episode uh ran short and they needed to add a few little beats i mean the that's, stuff with the saddle does go on for a really freaking long time. that's but that's weird though because so much of it you could easily i could easily imagine adding like two minutes more of picard walking Sure. And climbing ladders and yeah. opening doors with his door open him a bob, mm-hmm. which is yeah. a great device that it's I wish really we all handy. had. He keeps yeah. that in his pocket, right? Oh, wait. They could have had a few more twists and turns in the Jeffries tubes to, you know, jack up the suspense of, yeah. of the He could chase have, like, lost even. his shoes at one point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. I don't see that working. Okay. Maybe he had a headache. Okay. That's a little too on the nose. I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, it's almost. It was snowing yeah. outside the Enterprise. <laughs> well, does this does that mean is this technically the next gen Christmas episode? Because I mean, we gotta say, Die Hard is one of the best Christmas movies ever. But is that the best. that too much of a stretch? Yes. Okay. Is, <laughs> you're saying that's too much of a stretch. <laughs> yes. So that's too much of a stretch. Yeah. Right, and yeah. and Darren saying like pine tree resin and trilithium warp core resin. That's also too much of a stretch. Although They're you both know, resin and, and you get them on Christmas, but... If you connect yeah. enough dots... Yeah. Never start doing that. I'm just saying, if you connect enough dots... Let's connect some dots, you guys. Die Hard does fit into Star Trek continuity. Of course it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Because... Are we going to address how um, Tuvok was undercover as a terrorist? <laughs> Did you well, notice that skipping Picard... Over Used a Vulcan nerve pinch yes, on I, a Vulcan. I did that's what we call irony. Even though I know it wasn't really a Vulcan, but that's still, that's pretty it crazy was still though, too, right? I yeah. mean, is that supposed to be a Vulcan nerve pinch? Because I mean, Picard knows well, it. He yeah. does. Yeah. He's well, used he mind melded with Sarek. Remember? So. Uh-huh. 
Oh, he knows. He, he, used, dense. he used it once with Spock. Really? Yeah. Interesting. It wasn't particularly. I knew, I knew that it. Data knew it, but. Yeah. I mean, if there's any episode to prove that Picard is just, you know, BA, then I'd say this would be. Well, okay, not BA like, you know, the uh, the A team, because that's, that's a totally different direction. But, I assume but well, that's no. Barkley. Barkley is. He fills that. Fills those shoes for us on TV. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's another. That's not as good as the ALF one, but that's pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's talk about the Baryons because this was an interesting point that we've never heard. I mean, it's not like it doesn't make any sense. And I always love it when they do throw in some kind of scientific, a real scientific element into the stories to give Star Trek a little bit of science cred and make it feel more realistic. So unlike most of the particles in Star Trek, baryons actually are real things. They are subatomic particles. They're made up of three quarks and they have a weight that's equal to or greater than a proton. So they are a real thing, a real particle, but we've never heard about them in Star Trek before. And suddenly it, they're such a big deal that they're going to have to evacuate the enterprise and and do this sweep of the ship and it just it felt like one of those moments where someone comes up with some problem simply as the catalyst for a story because you've got to set it into motion somehow so what did you think when the episode started and they said we've got to leave the ship because all this stuff's building up because we go to warp all the time well, I'd say I totally bought it because I think that Kirk's Enterprise had to go through the same procedure. Unfortunately, we just didn't see it six years into its mission. It was just, I, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not a TOS hater, but no, it, it uh, you know, we, this is a season six episode, so we've developed that much baryon particles. Well, Darren, if that happened in the animated series, I'm pretty sure the baryon beam was pink. Oh, it, it was most definitely pink. <laughs> But I mean, this is because the film's really old. I I don't I don't have a problem with this at all because I mean, yes, of course it was a a plot device which was invented for this episode to set the story in motion, just like every other episode of Star Trek which was ever produced. However, hold on, Mike, are you saying <laughs> that Star Trek episodes are predicated on some sort of plot invention? In order to create conflict. Occasionally. Go back to whatever country you're from that is perfectly good and valid and as good as ours. Okay. All right. But kind of stupid. Okay. Now, I mean, the idea that this is like a big deal out of nowhere or whatever, I don't see that as being a thing at all. I mean, it's obviously, I mean, how many, this would not, if, if a Baryon sweep went according to plan, that would not exactly be compelling television. Now, I would love <laughs> right. to watch that, you know, I, because I, I think they should do that more often. They should do more episodes like Data's Day. Well, I mean, if Data's, if Data's Day didn't have that stupid spy yeah, espionage right. murder That's subplot and like they were not on the ship because of some Baryon sweep, mm-hmm. you wouldn't think anything of it because who cares? Right. I mean, it's some sort of procedural nonsense. And considering how complicated these ships are, yeah. there's probably like dozens of those things right. happening every week yeah i mean maybe they don't affect the whole ship 
But I mean, whatever's going on in botany, every once in a while, like nobody can bring anyone with with like a like an allergy down there, or they'll explode. Mm-hmm. Like random stuff like that's got to be happening all the time. I mean, when they dock with a star base, it's got to be an unbelievably complicated procedure. And thank God we don't have to know all of it. <laughs> no, you just fly through the doors, Max. Doors open up. You just fly right inside. You, you park. Yeah, sure. Park but how do they on. refuel? Come on, man. There's, there's stuff going the on. Are these same doors that fit? An Enterprise D Galaxy class and an original Constitution class. Oh, don't get me started on the doors. Oh, my God. Don't open that door. Literally. <laughs> Even the space dock goes through a refit, Darren. No, they just scaled the model up. No, it, it doesn't It doesn't work. But, well, I mean, to quote Picard on the very first episode of Next Gen, as they are exploring the great unexplored portion of the galaxy which just happens to have a service station that can scan the baryon but i thought we were far away from from things i thought we were exploring so i'm really glad that they had this star base with a with a service station because it was time for a tune-up apparently i mean that's just next gen right well i mean it's also it's also just generally star trek i mean like the distances that they travel is unbelievably fuzzy and they've got they've they've had times when they were pretty good about it and they've had times when they were really really bad about it we're in a bad at geography time for star trek but like mid next gen they were pretty good about it they kind of stuck to the rules like they they established like if we're gonna go here it's gonna take us some time but, I mean, That's they're true. on a frontier. That doesn't mean that they can't go back to a frontier town. Like, you know, you, like you're if you're going all the way to California, there might not be anything there. But, like, you've got a week and you can go back and resupply and go a little bit further than you did last time. No, that, that makes sense. Although I, I like to think that the Baryon Sweep, I mean, like we said, these are particles that come from traveling through warp. So... I would have loved to see a tie-in with the TNG episode Forces of Nature where apparently they're just ripping holes in subspace because they're going to warp too much in this. And they're like, well, uh, we actually had our, I guess, the smog check, our baryon sweep particle check. So I think we should be good for going through warp past warp five in this section, Captain, because uh, we, we've had our tune-up. The check engine light came on, and they didn't pass their emissions test. And... They didn't re- <laughs> right. recognize it. I can't wait till they bring that up consoles. in the JJ verse. It's gonna be great. <laughs> yeah. I'm picturing now. So, so in Japan, every year for our cars, we have to have all that, you know, all that check, all this stuff done, and you get what's called a shaken. It's a shy's car, and Ken, it's like a certificate. So it's like a sticker, though, and it has to be on the windshield of the car, right up at the top, dead center. Mm-hmm. And I'm just picturing now the view screen on the Enterprise D with this big sticker right up at the top. <laughs> yeah. And they have to they have to come in. They do the Baryon sweep. Do they hang a uh, fl- flavorful uh, tree? You know, because it's brand yeah. new. The, the, the serviceman <laughs> was really really nice, and they just hung. You know, just it's the little accoutrements. It's nice. It's nice. And I have that hanging down from above the view screen. Little oh, pine boy, tree. That's okay. That's upsetting. Now, now I'm like flashing to an entirely different version of Star Trek, where there's logos everywhere. <laughs> this view screen sponsored by Nokia, <laughs> right? <laughs> also, everything else. Everything else. <laughs> they got tied on all their uniforms. It's fantastic. <laughs> Everyone's drinking Red Bull constantly. Like that scene where Q, you know, now I'm into it. I changed the, my mind. Uh, the spill on Picard and he just waves his hand and then he looks at the camera and goes, brought to you by Tide. I know you're saying it like it's a joke, but I'm thinking that sounds great. 
<laughs> I like the Red Bull thing there, Max. In news, we talked about the possibility of Guinan turning up in the next JJ movie because apparently um, Whoopi Goldberg has said maybe she'd like to do that. But now I'm picturing Guinan on that Enterprise would be serving Red Bull behind the bar. She's got all these Red Bull cocktails going. Yeah. Well, they did that some of that in the in the new movies. Well, Scotty yeah, doesn't want have. you know his synth hall. He can get a Red Bull or a uh, or a Slusho <laughs> or a uh, Coca Cola Classic Classic Classic. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Scotty's going to yes. be drinking any Red Bull. So there's the Baryon thing. Anyway, I don't have any particular problem with it. It's just interesting how sometimes in in Star Trek when they do pull some of these things out. I suppose it's not as, at least with Picard, they pulled out horses, but this is where it gets confusing in the timeline. So because of generations, I always think about, yeah, Picard, he liked to ride horses. Is this the first time that we actually get any indication that Picard is into horses? I think so. I believe so. Yeah. Because they do that thing where they'll like pull hobbies out for people that like you never knew they ever had this hobby, even though you've, been following them for years and years i guess like there's there's sort of like a, a weird sort of thread of picard his his peculiar sort of um like worldliness is is sort of of a type that you associate with outdoorsy guys and outdoorsy guys are the kind of guys who you know have a, a wide variety of knives um know how to ride a horse and have an astonishing memory for various types of knots like, you know he's the kind of guy who has that stuff in his head. So I assumed that he knew how to ride a horse. I wasn't surprised by that. Well, he got his Boy Scout badge in in crossbows, apparently, and he knows how to make poison tranquilizer crossbow arrows. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? I mean, you know, I mean, I know if I if I ran a Boy Scout trip, I would teach them all to kill. Oh God. And just wound, subdue. Obviously, it wouldn't be all about murder. It's getting a little too Hunger Games-ish for me, Max. I don't know. This is why no one will let Max be a Boy Scout leader. <laughs> I hate those movies. Wasn't it convenient that, that there was a crossbow on the ship hanging on the wall? It was in Worf's quarters. So it's a Klingon crossbow. Yeah, I'm not surprised that Worf has anything. I'm surprised that he doesn't have everything. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised he didn't have like a Stinger missile launcher in there, yeah. which would have been cool too. <laughs> Shooting Tuvok with that? <laughs> Worf is like Dwight from The Office, right? He's got weapons hidden all over the Enterprise. Crawl through a Jeffrey's tube. He's got a little batleth. Not a little batleth, I guess. Got a batleth tucked up in there somewhere. So I'd give it all up for a phaser that just shoots without having to be quite so close to your target because I mean every time someone beams on the bridge he has to leap over that horseshoe to be as close as possible to make the shot but unfortunately it usually gives the antagonist that moment of opportunity to you know show that they're powerful and body slam him into the bullhead well Darren well, that, say- that's that's just a rule that Picard put into place because he got tired of Worf shooting the view screen so he wants him to be close to the target I like that. I, I just assumed that it was him being an idiot and like thinking, there's a bad guy. I want to hurt him. And then like halfway through, he's like, oh, ranged weapons. He's, that's <laughs> right. I don't have to do, he's because it's, because it's, because it's now. It's whatever year this he's, is now. He's like that guy in the raid who for no apparent reason puts down his gun and then gives a lecture about how 
the raid know. reference. <laughs> We're referencing the raid now. Okay. What do you want Have you guys to? seen The Purge 2? <laughs> because well, no one okay, but ever will. Well, that's a total ripoff of, of Return of the Archons, but oh, whatever. Yeah. I'm, but the, never mind. <laughs> okay. Um, Hold on. The point is... I like. I believe that one of the trilithium's effects is not only that it can destroy stars, but that when you're exposed to it, you forget about it entirely. So that years later, when somebody brings it up again, you're like, "What's that?" Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it has the properties of the silence. Okay, that that, that makes that's sense. true. This is the first time that we ever heard of trilithium, and I guess well, you've got dilithium. Let's just make trilithium, and it'll sound fancier. But the fact that we do hear about it a number of times later on, so of course it comes up in generations because that's what Sarin is using to collapse stars. But they also mention it on DS9. It's mentioned mm-hmm. in By Inferno's Light. It's mentioned in Image in the Sand. It's also mentioned on Voyager in the Shoot. And in all three of those cases, in all three of those episodes, it's related to weapons, which is what Picard is saying in here, that like this trilithium yeah. resin... Its only use would be as weapons, but yet it's it's like you said, Max. That they it's like they've never heard of it before in generations. Like what's trilithium? Yeah, they wow, do. They do literally like go like trilithium. Yeah, tri- yeah, right. They're shot trilithium. <laughs> see, <laughs> see I, I thought of that while I was watching this, but it was it was Riker who said that, and I can totally see like Riker, you know, just being like, well, you know, we need to evacuate the ship. Why? Well, because they're cleaning it, and he's just like, you know what? I don't even care. <laughs> just tell tell me what I need to do, you know, and I will delegate. So you believe that Riker is basically not paying attention to what's going it's on around like, him, why, and the majority is upset at him about that. Look, you know, I mean, like people say, like like just the other day, you know, someone someone said, like, okay, you need to go to work early because they're cleaning the grease trap. God, you need to go to the grease trap early. I get it. And Whatever. I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what the, I'm like, what do I need to do? And they're like, you need to show up and open up the door. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And then that was it. That's all I know. You know? He, he calls Jordy over and says, Okay, Jordy, I just need one of your PowerPoints just to explain this to me and just give me a bullet list because I really don't care. Just just so that I can I can sound like I know what I'm talking about for the next hour, so that I can forget it completely when I get wasted. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't pronounce it like tree lithium because that really just sounds like an idiot. <laughs> well So that tree lithium, yeah. uh no, no commander, it's it's called trilithium. Oh, I I read the notes. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm brief. You say trilithium. I say trilithium. Well, it's not, it's not this episode for me and what Riker is. <laughs> it's the fact that in generations down the road from this that everyone seems so shocked about trilithium. And they have to explain in the movie, like, what is trilithium? It's called uh, episode continuity. So it passes, you know, from episode to episode. They actually remembered this event in the past. And th- as their characters grew in Next Gen, they, they remembered that it was an important weapon developed by terrorists and they knew to take it seriously. It's, 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 called, uh, it's called character development, Chris. It, it happens but a lot they, in, in Next I Gen. Don't, I don't really think that's the way that it played out, though. It was like it was a No, new it theme. didn't. I didn't. I, I'm, so. just, I'm just wishing. <laughs> Uh, and then there's the weird thing on Voyager. Is as solid as anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the weird thing in Voyager in Course Oblivion when you have the silver blood version of Voyager, and these silver bloods are collecting samples of trilithium ore. So there they throw it in again. It's, let's just 
Let's use try. Is that a thing? Is that, cool. a, is that a is that a term that, that is familiar with people? Because I've never heard silver blood version of Voyager before. The silver bloods. They were like that. There was. No, I I know. I remember the thing, you know but I've never are. heard silver bloods. I really like, said yeah. like that. Voyager Maybe that's fans. a Voyager fan thing. I don't Voyager know. fans know, yeah. The Silver Blides that were posing as Voyager, so. Yeah. Anyway. Just as good as Voyager, though. The Trilithium <laughs> debacle was kind of interesting here, but I went to, I went to Memory Alpha because I wanted to see, like, how are people dealing with Trilithium? So they put two separate entries. There's one for Trilithium Resin, which oh, is boy. this episode, and then there's one for Trilithium, which is everything else. So apparently, I think we've detected a controversy. It goes to the heart of the Federation. <laughs> That's right. And this is why we need a show where people can debate issues, right? But yeah, and the nice thing about trilithium, especially you know, with that that small tank that apparently is really really fragile, but we can just you know just sling over our shoulder, you know, like a like a just like any other bag. But it provides Picard. I mean, this episode, we, we, we don't want to see Picard literally shoot someone. I mean, he's the good guy. He can't well, He killed kill like someone, three people in this episode. But he does kill three people, but it's all indirectly. He, he you know, he, he tricks the one person into walking into the Baryon sweep, you know, within the Jeffries tube with his uniform. He removes the, I mean, yes, he's, he is directly involved in their deaths, but it's, it's that secondary death of like, oh, I just happened to remove the control rod of your nuclear device. It's not my fault that your ship exploded, you know, 10 seconds later. I don't know. I, I think the only one is the one where he left the person tranquilized, you know, after shooting them in the leg. But but the other one, I mean, he knew that the guy chasing him in the Jeffrey's tubes was going to get fried by the Baryon sweep. And he knew that Kelsey's ship was going to blow up after he let her beam back over. Now, he may have thought he was going to end up dying also when he could no longer move any closer to the windows. But two of them, I mean, he he knew he had to do it, I suppose, to, to save himself and save the ship. But I don't know if it was as indirect as that. If we're going to question the, 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 the role of Starfleet personnel and the deaths of other people... This feels like the, the the least of all the episodes where, like, the sins that they commit are actually kind of reasonable. Like, he does, he definitely kills a few people. But, like, even, like, legally, it would be basically manslaughter at most. It, like, well, it's not first degree or second degree. Like, he just sure. subdued them and they got killed. Yeah. I mean, you know, even with that, it's like, to, to me, it it's justified in that, you know, I mean, I think they talk about that, but the stakes are much higher than himself or even the ship, you know, well, he the doesn't, idea is he doesn't that, even cancel the barrier sweep until he knows that the problem has been resolved. Right. This is, this is a weapon yeah. which is going yeah. to be used for right. some sort of terrorist act. Yeah. And he wants to uh, nip it in the bud. Yeah. Yes. No, I agree on that. It's not, it's not a particular, it's not, morally questionable nearly as much as almost anything else and i mean the next episode there's there's moral questions about like how he treats the personnel of the enterprise with the firestorm thing mm -hmm. and i mean he he's like all upset about his girlfriend i mean like there this is this is a fairly reasonable episode in terms of possible murder charges yeah well i don't think there's any there was no. ever going to be a, a case of that but 
you know, and, and he, he does have that moment, you know, where he's like, uh, you know, he, he just kind of like you see him reflecting on, on what he did, but, you know, what he had to do. Yeah. And then they follow that up immediately with a horse is a horse, of course, of course. <laughs> I'm so upset about that joke. And that's how they end the episode. I am going to be really every time I hear that joke, I realize I'm going to hear that for the rest of my life. It's like 30 years from now, I'm going to be watching Next Gen again. <laughs> And I'm going to have to explain that joke to my third wife. And she'll be like, I don't understand that joke. And I'll be like, you're 19. And I'm done <laughs> explaining this joke. Well, we're learning oh, a lot God. about Max tonight. I really hope your fiance listens to this. That was <laughs> Yes. <laughs> anyway, so where were we? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I wasn't suggesting there were going to be murder charges for Picard or anything. But I, I guess it just... It, it it was an unusual this episode's an unusual role for Picard like I guess Darren you said at the very very beginning you know he's usually the diplomat he's usually not the one who's running around the ship shooting people with crossbows and nerve pinching thieves or whoever I did find it weird though in the story that if you if you're this group who is going to board the flagship of the Federation to mm-hmm. try to steal warp core resin that you would study up on the ship you're going to hit a little bit and learn about the ship and learn about its crew as well. And I would think that they would recognize Captain Picard because, again, it's the flagship of the Federation. He's the captain of this ship that they're going to break onto. You would think they would get dossier of of the commanders of the ship or something. It just seemed really weird that that... Kelsey, the leader of the group, she's buying in for a long time that he's Mott. And, of course, I love the fact that he's also bald and Mott's bald, so the barber joke gets passed to another person who's bald. But Cascading barber jokes. Cascading barber jokes. But I, I just thought it was weird that they didn't recognize. And then when he says his name, though, and she says Captain Picard, so it's like, yeah, I've heard of your name but I didn't bother to find out what you looked like in case you happened to be on the ship when I was trying to break in. I've come at this like a, a bunch of different ways. I mean, like one is like, we don't we, like, they don't have like a, the sort of the superficial media that we have now where we have pictures of everybody, no matter how insignificant. So there's their no role space is. TMZ. In the yeah. They don't have that. Okay. But like, like that even kind of falls apart when you realize that like I have no idea what the captain or commander yeah. of any naval vessel looks like. Right. And no matter how elite a terrorist somebody is, finding a picture of the guy running the ship is going to be kind of tricky. I imagine it wouldn't be that tricky for them to find. No, it. not if you were really trying, but like if you didn't think that they would be there, you might might not bother. Yeah, you wouldn't bother to look up like just in case the captain of the ship is the only one still on board. We should probably have a photograph of him so that we know to shoot him on sight because he's totally not the barber. That's crazy. Who thinks like that? They think it'll be empty. We'll be fine. In and out. I don't know. I, if I were going to break onto the Enterprise, I would study up a little bit more before I broke in. Well, you're a much better terrorist than me. <laughs> Look, it's, Did everybody this, is hear just, that? this is just all I, I like to think of it as is commerce. Uh, oh, oh, I see oh, what you did there. You're an exceptional. Thief. Yeah, he's an exceptional. Thief. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
All right. Well, well, last topic before we wrap up here. I, I did want to ask you guys, Mike and Max, about Morgan Gendel, who wrote the episode. Most people know him best as the writer of The Inner Light, but he wrote this episode and he also wrote The Passenger and Armageddon Game on DS9. So within Star Trek, that's there. You know, commentary Trek stars, you guys are, are all about exploring more deeply into the creatives here. What do you think about this Morgan Gendel story compared to the others? I mean, I know everyone loves the inner light, you know, and thinks that that's, you know, the bomb and whatnot. And I mean, I'm not going to disagree with, you know, with that necessarily, but honestly, yeah, (laughs) but honestly, I think that like Starship Mine is a better episode and obviously it's a very different story and, um, I mean, he's got a lot of range. I mean, if you look at like the stuff that he's done outside of Star Trek, he's done everything from Law and Order to uh, the Spider-Man cartoon that was on MTV. I think he actually ran that one, if I'm not mistaken. He did the Spider-Man? I didn't know about that. Yeah, I'm pretty pretty sure he was the showrunner on that. Uh, So, you know, I mean, he has a a pretty wide range and, you know. um, None of them are bad. That's the thing. He doesn't have a bad episode. Yeah, but they're all, and they're all different. There are people that do. (laughs) And yes. we have all their names tattooed on our bodies. <laughs> but like, this is a great episode. Yes, it is. And and I don't know why you would shy away from the Die Hard thing because this is a fantastic version of Die Hard. Yeah, and Die Hard. I mean, it's it's basically look, the best Die Hard adaptation. It's better than most of the Die Hard movies. I don't know. I think Air Force One might be better, but um. But regardless, and and Die Hard, I mean, this is something which no one ever talks about, really. Well, some people do, but it's extremely well written. You know, I mean, it's not just a a great action movie because of all the action in it. It's a very people don't talk about this. I think we've talked about it. I guess we talk, yeah, more than we've talked about about anything else. So, I mean, he's he's using a good template here, and um, it's a much. I mean, the scale and everything. You know, Inner Light obviously takes place over probably the, a, a greater period of time than any other Star Trek adventure. And this is... Inner Light's a crazy episode. And this takes place over... How long did it take for the for the beam to go across the thing? So, I mean... it's it's As I recall, it's almost real time. Just yeah. slightly compressed. Right. So, I mean, two completely different... Couldn't, couldn't be more different if they tried. And yet... It could be more different. Both both very, very good. And, by the way, I... I, I I don't well yeah no I'm I'm 99.9% sure that uh he is doing a, a commentary for this episode on uh the new Blu-rays so Oh yeah I think he is yeah yeah I believe I remember that yeah Right so you can check that out Yeah very cool All right well we're getting close to an hour here so let's wrap up with final thoughts and Darren what are your final thoughts on Starship Mine and your rating well, just my final thoughts. I think, like I said, it's still a fun episode. It's been really fun discussing it and hearing your guys' different a take and the diehardness and, and all of that. And it's definitely made me look at this episode in, in a new light. Uh, not the inner light, but a, but a new light. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's still – it's just a fun bottle show. I love all the shots of the rooms, like just the way they light them differently and – you know, you, you you know it's still the same ship, but you feel it's different somehow because it's so dim and you know sparsely lit. Uh, but yeah, it's a, a great Picard episode. You know, good good B plot. Uh, so it's it's definitely 
when I'm doing my watch through of season six, for sure, it's, it's high on my list just for its fun value. So I would definitely give it, uh, I'd give it probably four, uh, Chateau Picard saddles. Cause you know, they're made in the Chateau of his, of his great family. It's, it's actually a whole side business they have for, uh, from, from the wine, from the wine, you know, it's Chateau Picard and saddle maker. You just, it's a hyphen thing. Handmade. Nice stuff there. Well, Mike, what about you? What are your final thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm very fond of this episode. I, uh, like I was saying before, you know, the, I, I appreciate it more now than I did, you know, when I first saw it. And I remember watching this, you know, the night that it aired, it aired the same night as Indiana, young Indiana Jones and the Hollywood Folly. No. Young oh, Indiana Mike, Jones and the Scandal of 1920. Before. Anyway. It's almost always wrong. <laughs> okay. Anyway. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and, and I, I loved it back then and I love it even more now. It is the type of episode where it is, you know, it's, it's not like a big bombastic best of both worlds thingy. It's, it's small and it sneaks under the radar, but when you go back and you watch it and really sort of start looking at it closely, you, you see how fine the craftsmanship is. And, uh, yeah, because of that, I would give it four Twinkies. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. Super right. How about you, Max? Yeah. Um, I find that weird because like, I actually do think of this as being like a, like a landmark episode. Like I, like when I think of season six, like there are, there are like, there are certain milestones and this is like, it's actually kind of frustrating in season six because it's kind of difficult to figure out what isn't one. Because mm-hmm. it's sort of full of amazing stuff. I mean, this is followed immediately by Lessons, which is like the only single episode romance that works disc, ever. <laughs> disc five of that <laughs> DVD set. I was just looking at it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is like the best disc ever. You were yeah. so, you cherished that disc so much you had it bronzed. And then yeah. you realized, I can't watch I it can't now. can't play it anymore. But so you got another one. Yeah. Um, but like, no, I love this episode very much. And I mean, but I do actually have a weird time watching it with people because I will do the diehard version of the line. Like, but like, like Star Trek it, like your Federation, there are rules for Federation. <laughs> and and it's like, I don't know why I'm doing that, but it's just like, like I can't not be excited about this moment because like literally all of the, all of the cylinders of my fandom are firing simultaneously. It's like, it's diehard. It's Star Trek. There's Patrick Stewart. You love literally everything about what's happening right now. You might as well just get some popcorn. It is super big for me. I, I consider it a humongous milestone. It is easily one of my favorite episodes of the entire show. And I mean, Star Trek. Yeah. So, if I were to give it a rating, I would give it the rating of the reason I watch Star Trek. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's pretty good. No one has ever given that rating on the show before. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. Well, like I said at the beginning, for me, this was an episode that I've always felt was a little bit odd. And it is partially because of things like what we've touched on here and there about the saddle scene at the end of the episode and just some of the conversations at the beginning, you know, Worf is the super polite Klingon. I believe you spoke first. You go ahead. You know, it's like, when did, when did that start? But after, after the discussion today, I really appreciate the discussion today because actually you guys, 
that's why I love having you guys on the show. And it's why I love listening to commentary Trek stars as well. Gave me a lot of things to think about that I hadn't really thought about this episode. And, and I think I really do appreciate it more now after the discussion. Now I've got to go back and watch it again. So, um, that's great. It's, it's a good episode. I'm going to give it seven risky and cheese pastries. Cool. I have no idea what that means, but um, they were served at Hutchinson's party. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to pay attention. Pay attention yeah. to the spread. When you're, you're, right. Party, <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. There's more, there's more to the spread than hidden weapons. Mm-hmm. So, the kid on Elf was Brian Bonsall. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's like random Elf trivia now. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's exactly the kind of comment that Jimbo in that episode of Elf would make, Max, as he's riding in the car with Willie. That's what I was going for. Yes, that's perfect. You nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, t- tell everyone before we go where they can find you on the network and on the interwebs. Well, you can find us on the network at uh, Commentary Trek Stars, where we talk about the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. This week, assuming that us Chicagoans uh, can watch the show which originated on the network that originated in Chicago. We're going to be talking about uh, Brandon Braga's new show, uh, Salem. So that should be exciting. And then um, you can also find, well, me uh, doing Standard Orbit with, with Drew. And then you can find the two of us on commentarytrackstars.com, where we do commentary track stars off topic with our friend Brandon, where we talk about whatever we want to talk about. We don't do commentary tracks anymore. No. Well, because we're trying to confuse the world. Occasionally. Yeah. And uh, then uh, you can also find us on Twitter at comtrackstars. Excellent. Well, thanks again for staying up until the wee hours of the morning tonight to to talk TNG with me. No problem. That's fine. I'm working my way through house. There you go. Good times. Well, it's been a lot of fun talking with Mike and Max about Starship Mine. It's definitely one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I think I do a periodic bury-on sweep of all of my DVDs (laughs) every once in a while because they do accumulate a lot of dust, and that's just really bad for an optical-based media. You have like a green flashlight that you you slowly wave across the room. Well, and then, you know, season seven is always the quote unquote 10 forward of the collection. So when I get to there, you know, Picard, I hear a little Picard in the back of my voice. He's saying, <laughs> you know, number one, number, right now, right now, shut it off. Shut off the Baryon sweep right now. It's actually your wife telling you to turn the flashlight off, right? It's it, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, it has been a lot of fun talking about starship mine today but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about on the network this past week so here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on trek fm previously on trek.fm standard orbit but you know when everybody else had their kirk shirt or their spock shirt like the first uniform i had my mom make me was a mccoy uniform of course earl gray 
the 7-7 Challenge. Did you know that Tim Russ was one of the possible choices for Commander Joy Lee But did you know he was also in Star Trek Generations? But did you know he was also served with Captain Sulu on board the Excelsior? I did know that, in fact. The Orb. Our Ben Bashir Commentary. <laughs> I love Avery. <laughs> Tell me what happens next. <laughs> and the look. The look up at an angle. He's yes. not even looking at Bashir. He's no. looking up at the angle. Tell me it's... what happens next. <laughs> the Ready Room. Spectre of the Gun. They just, they're so quick to jump to conclusions. Like, the guy gets shot in front of them and they're like, Death! is the only thing that's real on this planet. And like, wait a minute, <laughs> how do you know that? That could just be a total figment of your imagination as well. To the journey! Favorite son commentary. Yeah, Janeway is... Uh, you better get more coffee, sweetie. It's going to be a long day. Ensign Kim is going to put you through some hell. Warp 5. Alternate outcomes of the Zindi crisis. But inter- the Enterprise is heavily damaged. We're talking practically destroyed everything but a shell maybe the saucer section is the only thing that's still around and 80 percent of the crew dies commentary trek stars rick bourbon and star trek it's kind of a moving target so he found some dimensionality he made it into a cube <laughs> yeah and so he was able to move things around in there a board cube mm. <laughs> continuing mission Star Trek Equinox. John Savage actually came up with the premise for the story, but we, they needed somebody to flesh it out, to develop it. And so they sent me John's premise, and I just, well, it expanded into the script for the project that we're doing. Melodic Treks. The Borg in Music. In when when they released it as a Blu-ray, and they combined them. They connected yeah. them, and there's the no feature. delay. There's they, they cut off that music, and then it's just like, oh, that didn't work. Literary treks. Rise of the Federation, Tower of Babel. Saval talks about this idea that you know people mutually consent to abide by these rules for their collective benefit. The idea that you know a- absolute unfettered freedom is just a ridiculous idea. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and get in on our daily Trek Talk. We have new Trek Talk for you every day of the week, and you'll find them in a wide variety of places, including on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Windows Phone, Xbox, Zune, or you can download or stream from our website. So go check out all of the shows and to find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. And if you choose iTunes for that, be sure to check out our new home in iTunes, where we're now able to gather our shows in different thematic collections. We have things organized down the sidebar for you as well. We have a large artist page, and then we have many subpages as well. It's a great way for you to uncover old episodes that maybe you've never heard before, because Darren, as hard as it is for me to believe, we are quickly approaching 1,000 episodes here on the network. And it's hard to believe that we have talked about Star Trek for, I don't know, you know, some of our shows are two hours long. So that's like 12, 1300 hours worth of Star Trek discussion for you to enjoy. If there's any super fans out there who would like to look through the entire Trek <laughs> FM collection and tally those hours, uh, we will give you a shout out. Unfortunately, there will be no monetary compensation. <laughs> That's it, it's it's hard to believe. It's it's amazing how much we've done in here. But we really thank Apple for extending a special invitation to us to to have an artist page 
like this in the first place. It's a real honor for us, and we really thank all you guys listening as well because um, you know you helped us get the recognition. Without you, we wouldn't be here doing this in the first place. So go check that out. And if you enjoy the show while you're there in iTunes, leave us a star rating and a written review as well. We'd love to hear from you. And it does help other fans find the show in iTunes. Now, if you'd like to share your thoughts on Starship Mine or anything else that we talked about in the show today, you can do that in a number of ways. You can go to our website at trek.afilm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose the ready room. That will come to us by email. You can also send us a voicemail through the website, or you can go to our forums at trek.afilm slash forums to talk to us and other listeners about the ready room, about the next generation, anything in Star Trek you want to discuss. You can do that there. And if social media is your thing, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. And you'll find us tweeting away about Star Trek on Twitter all the time under username trekfm. Now, Darren, when you're not doing one of those Baryon sweeps of your living room, where can people find you? Well, they can find me, obviously, on our sister show, Earl Grey, with my co-hosts, Philip Gilfus and Daniel Prue, as we talk about the NCC-1701 Bloody D. Uh, but we have a lot of fun each week talking about you know the ship, technology, characters, episodes, I mean, there's just so much to discuss, and they're they're great guys. It's it's a lot of fun to to go over. But you can also find me on my personal sci-fi show, which is called the Doctor Sci-Fi Show, and where I do a new topic each month. I think this month I'm ending a toy segment, and I had a great episode recently about Playmates toys. That was a great show. I just listened to that yesterday, actually. And who was your guest on that? Because he he was very interesting as well. His name was uh, Nathan Newell, and he is from dorkdimension.com. So when I was sourcing some artwork for my cover images, I contacted him and said, hey, like, can I use this picture of every single data figure basically in one collage that he had made? They're all standing, staring at you with their yellow eyes. Uh, (laughs) So I I could tell instantly that he was a big Star Trek fan, obviously, especially of Playmates toys. And I just, at the very end of that email, dropped the line, well, if you ever want to talk about Playmate toys, I'd love to have you on. And it was a great discussion. Uh, You know, two people who just really enjoy Star Trek, really enjoy that that toy line and it was a lot of fun yeah it was a really great show i really recommend that to anybody who enjoys the star trek toys and go check that out well if you'd like to find me you can find me on twitter as well my username is c brian jones that's a letter c and brian with a y you can find me pretty much everywhere in social media under that same username as well as on my personal website at cbrianjones.com. And elsewhere on the network, you can find me on quite a few shows, maybe too many shows. You're probably going to get sick of my voice pretty soon. But you can find me with Matthew Rushing on Literary Treks, where we talk Star Trek books and comics and interview authors. And Matthew and I also do The Orb together, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. Then you'll find me on Warp 5 with various guests and other hosts from around the network to talk Enterprise. And you'll find me on Matterstream, which is about science and social issues and creative things. And I have guests on there all the time. Those are interviews with scientists and actors and creatives and writers and people like that. And then you'll also find me on Continuing Mission, which is our show about Star Trek fan series and independent productions. And uh, we've had some really great guests on there as well to talk about Star Trek Continues and Axanar and Equinox and Renegades. Lots of interesting stuff on there as well. So go check out those shows if you're interested. 
Before we let you go, we'd also like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com, the best source for audiobooks you'll find anywhere. Go check them out. And as a Trek FM listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice absolutely free just for trying Audible. So you can pick up Reunion, which Darren recommended today, or any book you like. And if at the end of the trial, you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose. You get to keep that audiobook. But I know you're going to love Audible. And by trying Audible, you'll be helping us keep the ready room coming to you every week. So go over to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and check it out today. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. One more thing you can do to help us keep the ready room coming to you is to make a donation to the network. Now, our shows are free for you to download and stream, but they're not free for us to produce. And we really appreciate any help you can give us in covering the costs of production, storage, and bandwidth. And if you go to trek.afilm slash donate, you'll find different contribution levels to choose from, but you'll also find some wonderful original alien illustrations that are done by Tobu Ushi, who is a great artist who does most of the artwork that you see on our website. And we have those as art prints and badges for you to choose from as a thank you. Or if you simply want to make a donation, there's an option for that on the form as well. So go check it out and see which aliens you want. See what contribution level is right for you. Again, that's at trek.fm slash donate. And we really, really do thank you for your support of the show and the network. Well, Darren, I am going to go down to 10 forward. And I just want to see. I'm not sure that Picard actually got as far back as possible before that Baryon sweep stopped. I'm going to see if there's maybe just a little other crack I can get into there. Well, I definitely feel that, you know, in a CSI-type manner, that would be very important to figure out. I mean, <laughs> right. really, where can one place oneself if you're wanting to be king of the world on the bow of the of the 1701D? <laughs> but I definitely think it's time to stick a saddle in it because the ready room is done. <laughs> <laughs>